0: From the
1: Stanley P. Kazakowski Memorial Studio here at Seton Hall University, WSOU in South Orange, New Jersey, welcome to Thank God for Monday. I'm Brother Greg Cellini, the Franciscan Brothers of Brooklyn, the class of 85. Once again, my great pleasure to be your co-moderator for our show today. Millennial crack co-host Gina Piro is once again with us. Great morning, Gina. Good morning, Brother Greg. The purpose of Thank God for Monday is to inspire you, our listeners, to take personal responsibility for your professional satisfaction. We want to provide you hope, then healing and peace in these turbulent times. Motivate you to search deep inside yourself in the quest for fulfillment. Alicia Keys says it perfectly in our opening song, There's Nothing You Can't Do. As always, listeners, Really up to you is how to utilize the information we provide, take full accountability for the decisions you make, and the resulting outcomes. And one of the goals of our show, thank God, for Monday, is to introduce role models. Role models of people who take very bold steps in their work lives. And this is why we are so pleased that Sean Murphy, author of Work Tribes, The Surprising Secret to Breakthrough Performance. Astonishing Results and Keeping Teams Together, has called into our WSOU studios today. Great morning and welcome to Thank God for Monday, Sean. Good morning,
0: and I love the way you say my name. It's got that nice accent. Is it a Brooklyn accent? It just sounds so much cooler than what I say.
1: (laughs) You're always welcome in Brooklyn, so please tell the listeners from what city you're speaking Yeah,
0: I am in uh, the lovely city of San Francisco.
1: Mm, You've just made Gina, I, and a whole bunch of listeners very jealous, Sean. (laughs) No doubt about it. I wish I had a San Francisco accent. There's no doubt about it. (laughs) I
0: don't don't know that we have one, do we? (laughs) That's what everybody
2: says.
1: (laughs) Sean, we only have 30 minutes, sadly. We could spend hours talking about you, your incredible experience in life, uh, this wonderful book, Work Tribes. But before we get into the gist of our conversation, the book, kindly share with Gina, myself, and the listeners just who is Sean Murphy.
0: Well, goodness, that's, I have a great therapist to help me with that. Um, <laughs> however, um, what I know, uh, so I on the, my, ad, my vocation, I'll say, is to help organizations with navigating, transforming the way the work experience shapes employees, um, own experience at work, and so that's done through organizational change management, that's done through leadership development. My advocation, I'd say, is really around helping leaders you know, take, take responsibility for their own influence on how the team performs and how they show up and how the way they show up helps or doesn't help mm-hmm. the way teams perform. It's
2: so important, and I think in workplaces, uh, I I work in HR, and I just know that now more than ever, things like teamwork, things like employee satisfaction, these are the things that are trending and are really uh, important in the workplace and becoming more and more aware of just how the team functions.
0: Yeah, you know, Gallup came out. Uh, I gosh, I think it's a couple of years ago now, saying that through their research that seventy percent of what employees experience is based on the manager's leadership style. So, I mean, you think about that. It's not the CEO. It's not the pay. It's not the friends. It's not the work. It's the boss. And we've always mm-hmm. known that. But when you put a number to it, seventy percent is the leaders, is the managers, and his or her leadership style. That's a significant chunk of how people experience work, and there's a lot to be
2: owned for that. Right. Absolutely. And you've decided to title your book Work Tribes. So could you just tell us what exactly is a work tribe?
0: Yeah. So work tribe is really the kind of the the feeling, the experience that a a team of employees experience um, that's kind of the, 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 the secret that holds that tribe together is what I call human chemistry and, and a work tribe is pulled together by the good things that make us human mm-hmm. and it could be you know it could be any team it could be your HR team it could be a cross-functional team in an organization but a work tribe is basically a group of people held together by um, kind of a shared sense of purpose, a shared sense of identity, and it's fueled by the, the goodness that's inherent in our human chemistry when we come together.
2: And one of the things that you mention in your book is the surprising secret to astonishing results and performance and keeping the teams together. So can you just help us out? What is this secret?
0: Yeah. So you know, I, when I was doing the research for the book, you know, I had come across a bunch of different uh, uh, quotes and, and bodies of work around you know, this, this interesting idea of people coming together in a workplace where they uh, do profound, great, profoundly great work, and part of what some of these things that we're reading were is this chemistry that exists between people. So Keith Richards, you know the guitarist from Rolling Stones, when he wrote about the how he and Mick Jagger wrote music, he said it was just like we just came together and it clicked and there was just this amazing output mm-hmm. of work and that's the secret is that human chemistry when we can bond and do great things and that's that's kind of the the gist of what fueled This idea of, well, what does belonging look like and feel like uh, in the workplace?
2: Definitely. And so, I mean, it sounds like belonging is really something that helps to establish a high-performing team. Is there anything that kills the team or the work tribe?
0: Well, unfortunately, there are lots of landmines in the workplace. And you know, here's the thing to think about when we, when we talk about work tribes is that it's, it's wholly relationally driven, meaning the relationships that I have with the people on my team are going to shape my experience of belonging. Now, that could be, and what you're asking is, that it, it kills it. So, for example... Toxic relationships, which could be you know, come from the, the the effects of a bully in the workplace. Um, it could come from uh, feeling like you don't that, that you're rejected, meaning that people don't really invite you and welcome you to be part of the organization or the team. Mm-hmm. Um, and another one is loneliness, which is an interesting idea, but when I was doing the research, you know, there's an increase in employees feeling lonely at work, and it's not that they aren't interacting with people, but they just don't feel like they have found their place or their
2: tribe. Wow. It's so relevant and I'm glad that we're we're talking about this and bringing this to people's attention.
1: Yeah, no doubt about that. And we're very curious, Sean certainly things need to be done different. What do leaders need to do differently to create this much-needed sense of belonging?
0: Yeah, so here's the first thing that I I always like to make sure leaders know, and that is, first of all, actually I mean to say this, a leader doesn't have to be a manager. So first of all, I think it's an important distinction for your listeners to know. Mm. Um, That being said, uh, a leader is... They have to own the fact that their presence is significantly shaping the way that people perform mm-hmm. and the way that people experience that connection or that human chemistry or the lack of.
2: Mm.
0: So, a couple of things that um, have been really notable in the way that I've, when I've studied uh, belonging, there's a couple things. One is leaders really need to make sure that they are grounded in business fundamentals. And here's, here's why this is important. So when we talk about soft things like belonging, what tends to happen is it, if it's not grounded in kind of a, a, an intention, in this case you know, business, it can feel a little bit like you're in a country club. And when you go mm. to a country club, mm. people are having a good time. They're there socializing. Mm but they're not necessarily doing anything and, and you plop that concept in the workplace, when we come to work, we're coming to work for a purpose, mm-hmm. right? We're coming to, to accomplish something. And a great leader needs to be able to know what he or she needs to accomplish. So that's that's a key thing in the leadership code as as it relates to belonging is what's your purpose? What, what are your goals? What is it that you're trying to accomplish? And then from there is this, this continual drive towards excellence. Like, how do I, as a leader, inspire my team to want to continue to refine its work? And I'll give you an example of this. When I was in, uh, my research partner and I work at Canlis, which is a Michelin star restaurant in Seattle, mm-hmm. <laughs> one of the things that the servers do there is they have this secret playbook. And when I asked to see it, they kind of, like, basically in a very polite way said no way jose you're not going to get to see this but what this playbook does is it's their code and how they interact with the guests once the restaurant opens and one of the things that i that i witnessed was it didn't matter what was going on if there was an emergency in the kitchen or some sense of urgency whenever a guest walked by they stopped and let the guest go to wherever the guest is going mm. so what this pointed out to us is that they practice from this playbook and make sure they're all, they all know what it is that they need to be doing to create this great experience in this Michelin Star restaurant. And so these teams practice together, and that's in part encouraged by the leader. So that leadership code of continuously elevate excellence is something that needs to be um, part of the uh, the way a leader inspires belonging to, to emerge. There are a few others, like doing it for the tribe, meaning that it's the team's health that is more important than any one individual. Right? Mm-hmm. All teams have superstars, and you have team members who might be just good. You know, They just grind out and do work, but there may not be the, the superstar, but the superstar is not more important than the, the individual. The team's health is
1: paramount right. for belonging to, to happen. Now, if we perceive, Sean, there are not one, not two, but three elements that really shape belonging. I don't know if you've touched upon them, and if so, maybe we can peel the onion a little bit deeper, or if these are different elements that shape belonging uh, to which I may be referring.
0: Yeah, so are you talking about feeling valued, wanted, and
1: welcomed? Yes, thank you so very much.
0: Yeah, so... So some of this work is based on what uh, Brene Brown did with her book, Daring Greatly. And what she did is she looked at belonging as kind of a social phenomenon. What, what we did is said, okay, so how is this different or is it different in the workplace? And we just added this concept of welcomed, um, feeling welcome. So here's what it is. So in the workplace, for belonging to be an experience and keep in mind belonging is subjective right, right. even though I'm a great leader it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to experience belonging mm-hmm. but what does happen when belonging does occur is i feel valued and what valued means is that you know the sacrifices i make to to maybe prioritize work more over say you know a friday night party that i was planning to go to that that sacrifice is not taken for granted, that it's acknowledged, it's recognized, um, and maybe even praised. So feeling valued is that what I do, there's an acknowledgement of that, and Mm -hmm. in a genuine way. Feeling wanted is when I feel that my boss and the company treats me as a human being, not as an employee, but as a whole human being, meaning that you're interested in my entire, you know, who I am, not who I am for you in doing a job. Exactly. Um, one of my favorite CEOs, Bob Chapman, you know, talks about these are, you know, my employees. These are the sons and daughters of, of somebody else, and I have to treat them with this level of respect that mm. they're loved uh, by somebody else. Um, and then welcome, meaning I feel like I have a place. So if I have this sense of yeah, this is this is my place. You know, I have a place at the table. I have a place in the team, and the team welcomes me in that is when I feel like that's one of the contributing factors to experiencing belonging, so feeling valued, wanted, and welcomed.
1: There are definitely powerful elements, no doubt about it. Now, this may sound like a silly question, uh, Sean, but what happens if maybe one or two, but not all three of these elements, aren't really part of the experience of belonging?
0: It's an interesting question because you know, you can experience feeling valued, meaning like, yeah, my boss definitely makes sure that he, you know, thanks me for, you know, prioritizing mm-hmm. work on a Friday night. But if I don't feel wanted or welcomed, well, then I'm just going to have this sense that well, you're just basically using me, right? Yeah. You know, you got, you got a fire drill and you need me to do it on a Friday night, but I don't feel wanted, meaning that uh, maybe the organization doesn't really treat me as a human being. Maybe this is happening so often that now I feel like I'm just a pawn in whatever your game is. So when you start to remove one or two, so for example, and these are this is kind of illustrated in the book, if you just feel valued but not wanted and welcomed, that's when you start to feel being used. But maybe you feel wanted and welcomed but not valued, meaning, yeah, we, we want you here, we love you as a person, and we have a place for you, but we never really let you know that your contributions matter, that's when that country club culture starts to set in that I mentioned earlier. Mm -hmm. Um, So there's different outcomes that happen when one or two of the elements that make up belonging aren't present. And I think the point that I like to make when I get this question, when I'm asked this question is, you can have one or two of these as part of your experience, but it's when all three together... Our experience on a regular basis, that's when it, That's when the goodness from belonging actually starts to transform teams. And that leadership code that we talked about is in, is in part one of the ways that holds that together. Uh, the other side of that is all of the team members, the tribe members, if you will, also
1: protect that sense of belonging mm-hmm. just as
0: much as the leader does.
1: It's so important. That makes perfect sense, no doubt about that. Listeners, for anyone who's just tuned in, welcome to Thank God for Monday, the weekly talk show about the workplace here on WSOU 89.5 FM, locally streamed around the world, www.wsou.net. I'm Brother Greg from the Franciscan Brothers of Brooklyn, Class of 85. Our great crack co-host Gina Piro is with us today once again. We've got a very, very special guest with us today. His name is Sean Murphy. He's the author of Work Tribes, The Surprising Secret to Breakthrough Performance, Astonishing Results, and Keeping Teams Together, calling in from lovely San Francisco, California. And uh, we've been talking all about this great book, What is a Work Tribe? How do we make people feel belong? All of these very, very important things to the workplace. And we're going to continue with some other questions for Sean.
2: So, Sean, a lot of the work that people do today is considered global, right? We are always emailing and doing virtual meetings and et cetera. So do you think it's possible to develop meaningful relationships through virtual teammates and virtual meetings?
0: I love this question, and here's the reason why. Because when I started the book, my my professional assumption based on experience was no. That, (laughs) yeah, we could have... Good relationships, but not meaningful in the same way that when you and I are in the same, you know, conference room working through something. Right. And through the research that I read, what I found is that the brain is always in this state of learning, and, and, and it's important. It might be weird that I'm even starting to answer this question with the brain. But the brain is when we are interacting with people that we enjoy, that we like, that we appreciate, that we value, the brain releases a neuropeptide called oxytocin. And mm-hmm. oxytocin is something that is kind of a bonding chemical. It, it bonds people together. It's what you know, inspires a mom to pick up her crying baby instead of running away, right? <laughs> it, it's, it's part of our kind of long genetic history, if you will. Here's why I'm saying this, is it used to be that, the belief used to be that while I can see you, say, maybe on like a conferencing uh, video solution, my brain doesn't necessarily release oxytocin. Well, what we have found is that's not true. The brain has adapted to these type of interactions to where we can actually start to experience, you know, these bonding moments, even though I may never see you in person, Mm -hmm. physically in person. So what's the good news about that is for these global teams, uh, we can actually experience meaningful relationships And the reason why I mentioned the brain is from a scientific perspective or maybe totally nerding out with you and your guests or your listeners Mm -hmm. is that, yeah, we can, we now have evidence that we can have just as meaningful relationships with our colleagues who are virtual compared to those that we might see on a day-to-day basis. Mm -hmm. Um, So long story, a long answer to (laughs) your question, but yes, we actually can now... There's proof that we can have really meaningful relationships when people are not in the same space as we are.
2: And that is so relevant, as we mentioned, because now more and more people are communicating in these ways. So we just kind of wanted to check in on what your thoughts were, which was great. So uh, in your book, you have what you call like model companies that you have studied. Do you have one major like favorite story from any of these model companies you've done your research on?
0: Oh, goodness. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so actually, so one of the model companies that I studied is um, Barry Waymiller, and I mentioned Bob Chapman just a few minutes ago. He's the CEO of Barry Waymiller, which is a global organization um, kind of in the manufacturing industry. And and I've known Bob Chapman now probably for five-plus years. And he tells a story that... I wish he could be on the phone to tell it to you, but it's basically this. He was at a wedding of one of his employees, and that's when he got this realization that these aren't employees. These are actually the sons and daughters of other people, and that was such a profound realization for him Mm -hmm. that it totally shifted the way that he looked at how, he needed to lead the company to be able to cherish the the employees. And you don't hear that language much in, in, in business today. I'm cherish my employees, right? You might say, Oh yes, we want high employee engagement and that kind of stuff right. but he cherishes them and the reason why I share this is because it totally changes the way that he started to interact with his his senior management team and, and their chief human resource officer uh, she, I remember her telling me a story when I interviewed her for the book that you know, she was put in a position where maybe it was kind of a stretch for her, and she was really uncomfortable with it, but because Bob has this very profound uh, insight around how important it is to, to take care of people mm-hmm. that work for him, he was there for her to guide her and give her the coaching that she needed and ultimately she was able to come out the other side where she felt really valued and and actually had this transformative, personal transformative experience through Mm -hmm. her work. And I think that's the value of what happens when we feel like we're given the space and the support to to take on something that's going to push us outside of our comfort zone and know that that the organization is there to support me should and when I do fall.
2: Right.
0: Um, and and I like that because today, right now, it's just so divisive in our country that that story just kind of resonates with me in terms of as I think about what could we do to really help this idea of belonging be an experience rather than just something that's captured in you know
1: a book. Exactly. That's very powerful, no doubt about it. Now, one of the things you list in Work Tribes is fictitious management beliefs. Maybe you can share one or two of these, Sean, with us, please.
0: So, I'm sorry, I didn't hear the full question.
1: I'm sorry. In the book, you list a couple of fictitious management ah. beliefs. Maybe you can share one or two with the listeners, Gina and I,
0: please. Yeah, the, so the fictitious management beliefs, so these are the b- beliefs that kind of stick around and they just really don't really, they're just not true. Um, you know, one is it's it's don't take it personally, right? Um, right? When I interviewed Doug Conant from, he's the former CEO of Campbell Soup, this was one of his things, he actually kind of got very animated with me because it's just such a belief of his that how could it not be personal? you're asking people to spend a third of their day with you. You're asking them to walk away from their families to spend a third of their day with you. How is that not personal? Mm-hmm. Right. So this belief that, you know, it doesn't really mad. It's just business. Don't just roll with it. It's like, mm no, that's not true. It, it, it is definitely personal. Um, the other thing is uh, this belief that money talks, right? Money is more important than anything else. And what we know is and this is something that actually goes back at least to the 70s, if not before. Managers had long believed that what motivates employees is money. While, while there is some basic truth to that, that we are motivated by money, it's not the top motivator. Um, and that has been the case mm-hmm. in research for a long time that really what really talks is to employees is doing work that matters, doing work that mm-hmm. actually feels like I'm actually making a difference. Money is a short-term motivator. Its influences on our behavior dissipate rather quickly, yes. but when we actually get to do something, like I said, that's meaningful or purposeful, that motivates us much longer than a good a good old paycheck. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other one I would say is it's, it's just the job. It's like, you know, hey, this is, <laughs> this is what you do, to put food on the table and... Uh, thank God for the millennials who have brought forward to the conversation that, no, actually, this is a calling and I want to do something that I feel is is actually important to me as, as part of my professional identity. So those beliefs really become insidious when they when a leader's trying to actually create a sense of belonging. And they're just beliefs that just don't mm-hmm. hold true anymore.
1: I could see where they would, no question about that. Listeners, uh, Gina and Sean, it is now time once again to reintroduce a very special segment we have on Thank God for Monday. We call it Spill the Tea, (laughs) and we've introduced this in order to try to give our listeners a venue, a form, uh, who are maybe struggling, maybe there's some drama in the workplace, some gossip, and to come here for an oasis, a refuge, some comfort. So um, I'm going to have Gina now share a beautiful letter we got from someone in New York State, and then maybe Sean and Gina can uh, share a little of their expertise to help this person.
2: Okay, so this comes from Victoria from the New York area. She says, my coworker has been complaining to management about my work ethic. However, I have full confidence in my work ethic. This person has deep psychological issues and has even suffered trauma which makes him often irritable, and he actually recently lost his mother. I need to know, how can I maintain professionalism while maintaining my own sanity by understanding that it's not personal? How do I deal with this? Please help yeah. me out.
0: Boy, that's a tough one because, you know, when there, when there are psychological factors in place, I mean, that, that makes it very tricky, not just for you, but also for the organization, right? Um, And and Gina, with your HR background, I'm I'm sure you kind of see all kinds of HR Mm -hmm. red flags going off in this situation. (laughs) (laughs) But here's to, to, to kind of protect yourself and to feel good about how you are managing this situation. I think what's important to point out is, first and foremost, focus on behavior and not the person. So mm-hmm. while this person's behavior might be, uh, uh, while, excuse me, while this person might have experienced something that has caused some psychological trauma, um, there's nothing that you can do about that. But what can, you can do is focus on the behavior. Now, I don't know the degrees in which this person's psychological um, concerns are. A factor in how he shows up with you in Mm -hmm. terms of how he interacts, but I would just if if he's being aggressive, um, maybe maybe um, demanding. Focus on what the behavior is that makes you worried about how he's undermining your work ethic, and have a conversation with him. Now, if that's not possible, and that may be the case because of some of the psychological concerns that you mentioned, is unfortunately, then it becomes a matter of you know making and documenting what it is that is being done, and then making sure you protect yourself by you know going to human resources. And I hope, I hope that you've got an HR group that actually is, is talented and 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 competent enough to help you through this but my first course of recommendation would be when he does something that you believe undermines your credibility and your work ethic talk about the behavior that he with him that he is doing that is causing you to feel that way and the one thing that I, you know, this is a model that, that I live by and it's actually going to be a tattoo of mine mm. soon is St. Francis of Assisi quote uh, that's been kind of modernized and it's seek first to understand, then to be understood. And what I mean by that is when he does something that leads you to believe he's undermining your work ethic, seek to understand where he's coming from, right? Because we all want to be heard. It right? sounds like this guy's hurting mm-hmm. sounds like there's something going on there yes. and you can't be responsible for that but you can be responsible for the way that his behavior is affecting you and rather than coming out and accusing him or being angry at him for what he is doing say hey we need to talk right I know you've got something going on and and, and personally and it's and it's been, it's been very traumatic mm-hmm. and and I am really sorry for your loss. However, we need to talk about how you're, how you're know, you undermining what I'm doing is affecting me. So I, I kind of understand what's going on, and then maybe I, and I would like for you to hear what this means to me, and let's see if we can find a solution.
2: What a I good, would always yeah, try that path first,
0: and then if it doesn't work, then escalate from there.
2: Definitely, and I think you've uh, you've struck, Brother Greg. I, I Absolutely. see. Absolutely, <laughs> I
1: like that very, very much.
2: <laughs> Absolutely, and I think that this is going to help out our uh, our listener a lot. So, thank you so much, Sean, for sharing. Unfortunately, uh, we looked at the clock just now. We are almost out of time, but we do want to ask you: From where can our loyal listeners purchase your book, Work Tribes, and how can they best contact you?
0: Yeah, so the best way to buy the book. Go to Amazon or any place where books are sold. You can get it in physical, the digital, and the audible as well. Um, you know, if you want to check out a free chapter, go to uh, readworktribes.com. And uh, if you are interested in reaching out directly to me, you could email me at sean, and that's S H A W N, at GetShawnMurphy.com.
2: Thank you so much, Sean. So listeners, after you have looked up Work Tribes by Sean Murphy, make sure that you also follow our Thank God for Monday social media. You can uh, stay updated on upcoming guests and possibly win a free giveaway on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn.
1: Gina, thank you very, very much. And Sean Murphy, we can't thank you enough for coming on Thank God for Monday. Today, we've been enlightened. We've been very inspired. This whole sense of belonging and this whole concept belonging not one we've delved into here, and thank God for Monday. So you've enlightened us, you've inspired us. Continued joy, continued great contribution, all this wonderful work that you're doing there on the best coast and literally around the world. Thank you. Listeners, sadly, we're out of time. Brother Greg and Jean is saying our hope and prayer is that when you wake up on Monday morning, just like Sean Murphy, you'll say, thank God for Monday. For some final blessings today, here's Professor Stan. Most Holy Virgin, Mother of God, Mother of all nations, whose image of Jehovah's shrine bears scars by hostile hands. Through your intercession obtain from your divine Son peace through truth and justice for the beleaguered people of the world. Queen of Peace, replace their despair by hope, dissension by love, darkness by the light of Christ. Despise not our petition, O Queen of the universe, but in your mercy keep under your protection their heritage of the rights of man and true freedom. O clement, O loving, O sweet Virgin Mary,
2: amen. Our Lady of hover please pray for us.